Hey everyone, welcome to Latter-day Struggles. This is your host, Valerie, and I am here on my own today to visit with you all about something that is just on my mind. I have been, well, let me give you some backstory. Okay, have a seat. We're going to talk for a second. I am, as you well know, I, I work with a lot of folks who are here in the LDS faith expansion, faith crisis space. You may be in the church, you may be out of the church, you may be somewhere in between. And if you're listening to this podcast, you probably can understand the depth and breadth of how complicated this is, especially when it relates to relationships. Now, not only do do I do these groups, as you know, but I also do these individual one-on-one consultations, which is basically where I work uh, for an hour uh, one or two or three or four times, uh, kind of just depends on, you know, it's a case by case thing with individuals, some of whom are in these groups and some of whom, some of you just call or reach out to me and email me and ask me if you can have a consult based on something that you want uh, help with when you're in some pretty extreme need. Now, what I have noticed is that the reasons why you come to me in these group settings or as individuals, of course, are, you know, all over the board. There are a lot of various pain points, but I have noticed having done this now for, oh gosh, it feels like it's a lot longer than it has been. I've been doing this for about nine months now interactively with you all, but there is a couple of presentations that have shown up over and over and over and over again. And the two largest populations of folks that um, are in faith crisis or in a faith expansion experience that I think personally are feeling, hmm, it's kind of hard to say, you know, like the most amount of pain, because I think that's hard to quantify. But I guess I would say that those, uh, the, the largest numbers or the people that come that keep showing the same presentation are two different populations. One of the populations is uh, individuals who are um, LGBTQ plus and are navigating the pain and suffering of uh, this religion and their family members. So those of us who are allies who have loved ones that are somewhere on the LGBTQ plus spectrum. That's a big population that I have the pleasure to work with. And then the second population that I'm really going to be focusing more on today is marriages in crisis, where generally speaking, now this isn't always the case, but generally speaking, the demographic of this population is uh, the person that I am working more closely with is the individual. And this could be a man or it could be a woman. I've seen um, many of both. Uh, this, the man or the woman is uh evolving, they're changing, they're, they're growing, they're expanding. They are developing in their faith and they have a partner who is uh, not developing at this, at, at the same rate, or in some cases uh, is, is really resisting or uh, kind of, my goodness, how do I say this? I guess I'll just say it, the, you know, they're freaking out. Let's just, <laughs> just to keep it simple. Uh, so, so this is causing a, a lot of pain and suffering because oftentimes what has been uh, before the faith expansion of the first partner, it's usually or oftentimes it's a pretty stable marriage. And then the person that I get to work with has changed and evolved and their change and evolution has caused almost like a psychological relational volcanic eruption in their marriage. And so having spent now hours and hours and hours with individuals and hearing their stories and listening and processing and then, you know, closing my computer and thinking and trying to conceptualize uh, the nature of this problem because, uh, you know, of my training as a, as a relationship therapist and especially as, a, as a, a marriage counselor, I'm trying to put all of these pieces together because there are elements of trauma involved. There are elements of uh, 
of course, relationship dynamics involved. And as I have put these pieces together over the, I would say many hundreds of hours that I have been thinking about this, I have come to a few conclusions that I want to visit with you all about today. And this is actually kind of a great uh, handy little coincidence because I am, well, the thing that motivated me to actually produce this episode is I have had a string of uh, visits with individuals, both in the group setting and in, in the individual setting that are showing up with this exact same uh, presentation. And I also concurrently and also kind of independently have been, uh, we're just on the, we're putting the finishing touches on my second course for uh, couples to help them work through uh, really painful experiences right inside of their marriage because one partner is in a faith expansion space and the other partner is very resistant to that. And they're really, really in a lot of pain and they're really struggling. And so what I'm going to be doing today and next time is I'm wanting to walk you through what I am calling uh, a successful failure, the successful failure of the um, LDS marriage theology. And what I mean by that is now I know when I was talking to Nathan about this, he's like, oh, that's kind of confusing because Nathan's favorite movie in the whole wide world is Apollo 13. And he's like, well, I know where that phrase comes from. And that comes from the fact that because the Apollo 13 had to abort their mission, but they actually were successful in getting back to earth. (laughs) He's like, it was successful. And so the way you're describing it is a little bit different. I said, okay, well, Nathan, here, what we're going to have to do then is I'm going to have to I first of all said, I'm not so sure everybody's seen Apollo 13 9 million times the way you have. But then I thought, well, I don't know, maybe you have. So I guess what I'm trying to say here is I'm going to define why I think the uh, LDS marriage theology might be seen, at least in some cases, as a successful failure and see how well I do in uh, proving my point here. Hey, everybody. The Latter-day Struggles podcast began on a whim and has become my passion project my vocation, and my full-time employment. As you might imagine, the content you enjoy is the culmination of thousands of hours of planning, study, production, editing, and other behind-the-scenes work, all in an effort to be a valuable resource to you, my audience here in and around The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. If you feel that what I offer has added value, direction, and strength in your faith journey, I now invite you to financially support my work to help ensure that I can continue to offer you and others this high quality content in the future. You can now make donations through my Patreon account, conveniently linked in my show notes at the bottom of each episode. Your donations, either small or large, one-time donations or those made on a monthly basis will help me continue to provide you with high quality, frequent, psychologically and spiritually sound content for your faith journey. And for your willingness to support me, I offer you my most sincere gratitude. Thank you. Now, back to the show. So let's just talk a little bit about what I mean by the theology of marriage in the LDS church as a successful failure. I'm going to, first of all, talk a little bit about what I notice as a a fairly typical uh, presentation of a couple or an individual who comes to me whose marriage is in crisis. Um, the way they describe themselves is that, generally speaking, um, they, when these two individuals met, they uh, were kind of more or less on the same page in terms of their uh, religious belief systems. And in our case, of course, they were both active LDS. Um, in many cases, they were uh, demographically rather similar. They came from uh, similar backgrounds. They oftentimes 
are, you know, they meet in college. Many of them have met, you know, even if you want to be really stereotypical, they met even at a, at an LDS university, you know, BYU, for example, or something like that. They are walking that covenant path. Uh, one or both of them have gone on missions. They get married in the temple. Many of them immediately start a family and sometimes a large family and start having that family quickly. And so in some ways they really are a card carrying, very high compliance uh, true believing. And as long as they're, been, they were on the same page, everything seemed to be going well because they had a little bit of a, a sense of direction, purpose, meaning, and they understood what a healthy, good marriage was supposed to look like according to the paradigm that they were raised in. Okay. So as long as that was the case, everything seemed to go well because everybody in the marriage at that point in time was reflecting a set of unspoken expectations about what a marriage is supposed to look like. And in this case, the marriage was so traditional that oftentimes uh, the male partner was, you know, getting his formal education. Uh, the woman oftentimes either stopped her education or even if she finished her education, she quickly went into some very typical gendered expressions of how to live, you know, the best kind of life here in the LDS church and and on and on. And so as long as both partners were sort of uh, behaving according to the script, uh, in that marriage, everything was going really well. Now, then, uh, of course, as life goes on, one of the partners has a little bit of a jarring experience that leads to a bit of an awakening, and it causes some pretty intense shockwaves through the system of the marriage. Uh, and this, these partners don't have a one lick of a skill set to know how to manage the complexities of the situation. I'll go more into that a little bit later. Oftentimes, these couples move into any anywhere from crisis as far as uh, conflict to uh, evasion and trying to just move back into business as usual. Uh, both partners feel a high degree of stress. Um, oftentimes, there are lots of children into the mix. And the more expanding partner may start moving into some different, oftentimes pretty benign behaviors that are different than what is expected of them. Um, it may have to do with uh, dressing and grooming. It may have to do with perhaps, uh, you know, breaking some of the the codes, I guess you would say, <laughs> not not uh, breaking any laws, not breaking nothing that would, uh, from an outsider's perspective, look like a big deal. But from this code of ethics that we were raised in inside of the, the Mormon Orthodoxy, you know, someone may show up in a tank top or uh, get a small tattoo or, um, you know, they're multiple piercing, or they may drink a glass of wine or a cup of coffee or something like that, that again, in the larger world would would not even be noticed, but inside of our structured faith system, that would be seen um, not only as a minor infraction, but for the more traditional or orthodox member of the church, it might be seen as a sign of a deep struggle uh, or deep apostasy, you know, forthcoming. And this really starts to fracture the, the nature of this bond the couple has built their relationship around, which is, I don't know how to be in connection with you if you are not what you purported to be when we first came together, which is um, I fell in love with a version of you that is um, I'm needing this version of you to be static. And because you're not static, I don't know how to be in relationship with you. The problem is that this expanding partner wants to frequently be in connection with their more orthodox partner. They want to share what they're learning because in some cases it is so incredibly important to them and it's so interesting to them and it's a uh, earth shattering to them and it's very, very painful for them. And they want their partner to be in connection with them. 
but oftentimes the orthodox partner is uh, in so much terror and they fear what this means about um, the foundation upon which they have built their whole entire relationship that they don't have the capacity to uh, to be there for the person who's in faith expansion. So basically what I'm trying to uh, articulate here is that most of these couples that come to me talk about this rhythm that happens, both of them orthodox, on the same page, fairly high-functioning marriage, lots of kids moving along the gospel path, something switches, and everything moves into a state of heightened chaos, confusion, a low skill set around how to manage this. And it does, in fact, look in some ways like the marriage is on tenuous ground because uh, both the orthodox partner doesn't know what to do about the more expanding partner and the more expanding partner certainly doesn't know how to convince or compel their partner to come along with them or even to listen to them. So why do I call this a successful failure? The reason why I call it that is because it's my belief that the doctrines and the theology of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in some ways has inadvertently been so successful in indoctrinating at least the more orthodox person in the relationship. They've been so successful convincing that member of the marriage about the importance of eternal marriage, of temple marriage, of temple covenants, and of every little teaching and behavior that's associated with that their loyalty is so high around that, that they would actually choose the church over the person that they have covenanted to love and honor and be with. And so in some ways I see this as, has the church in teaching the doctrine around eternal marriage been successful in some ways? The answer tragically is yes. They've been successful. And let me just slow that down and say a little bit more about that. Oftentimes when the more orthodox um, is struggling with somebody um, in, with their partner in the marriage who is expanding and changing their testimony of, let's just call it the plan of salvation, which is inclusive of a temple, a heterosexual temple marriage and all of the trappings that one must obey or comply to, to get that temple recommend that allows one to get into the temple, that allows one to have the temple marriage, that allows one to have the eternal family. So it's like there's these stepping stones that one must be compliant to in order to get that temple marriage. And so to the extent that one has internalized that, they will do anything and everything that it takes to hold on to that belief system. And so that, in some ways, for some people, it's like the church has done a, a remarkable job in really helping, well, helping is the wrong word, in my opinion, uh, in this context. They've done a remarkable job in convincing people uh, that that is the most important thing. What, and one of the things that I feel like has happened is that we are taught, and I remember this vividly, and so um, forgive me if this is something that is my own personal experience, and maybe you don't uh, have, maybe you won't share this experience with, you know, hang in here with me as, as I kind of talk you through my experience. I was taught as a young woman that I ought to love God more than anyone else, that God comes before everyone. God comes before parents, children, a future partner. God becomes the most important thing that I love God more than anyone else. Okay. You know, on the surface, that sounds great. The The problem that I have with that is that what I internalized at least was uh, God equaled the church, meaning that the teachings of the church were the most important thing 
in my existence and that if I truly loved God, I kept all of the commandments of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at the expense of everything else. Okay, so if you can imagine me as a young woman internalizing this, that the way I show obedience to God is by showing obedience to all of the, not only like the big things, but also all of the little things. What I'm learning is I do that at the expense of living, breathing human beings around me who are having an experience that I don't have time or, or energy or space for if it is outside of my window of tolerance as I am doing my best to keep all of these little commandments to prove my love to God. And so what's going on there is that I am overcoupling my obedience to the church and I'm seeing that as a way that I'm showing my love for God. And in so doing, I am estranging myself from my ability to actually see people around me. If I really buy into and internalize that uh, loving God equals loving the church equals doing all of the things the church tells me to do, the outcome of that can um, eventually become disastrous because what it does is it, it shuts me out from my ability to actually be present for and love other human beings. Well, let me actually, I'm going to share an example with you. This isn't related to the couple relationship. I had a, an awakening moment just as I was preparing this, these thoughts to share with you today. Um, I was, when I was a young and zealous, okay, let's just call it overzealous <laughs> missionary. Uh, well, I was in the MTC uh, missionary training center, getting ready to go to the um, Oakland, San Francisco, California mission, Spanish speaking, so excited getting ready to you know, go out there and change the world. And um, at that time, I had one of my siblings had just recently gotten married and was living on the East Coast. And I had somehow or other, I don't quite remember all of the details, but they I hadn't seen them for a while because they, of course, lived across the country. And then, of course, I was going to be gone away for a year and a half doing this missionary service. And so she happened to be in town and she and her husband, and I believe my mom and maybe a few other family members had written me in the missionary training center and said, Hey, your sister would love to see you. She wants to see you. And so they're going to come up to the Provo temple on Monday, which happened at the time to be my preparation day. So I had the day off. I easily could have walked up to the temple at that point in time. Missionaries were playing on those um, grassy fields right around there, which I had also done. Um, I easily could have popped up there and I would not have missed anything. However, I knew that there was a rule that you don't see family members. You're set apart. You're a missionary. You keep the commandments. You keep these laws and that's how you love God. And so in so doing, I told my family dutifully as my very orthodox self, uh, no, I'm not going to go see my sister. And they said, um, God bless them. <laughs> I think they thought maybe that like my sense of compassion and love for my sister would prevail, but sure enough, it did not. And they said, well, we're going to show up anyways, and we'll just sit there and enjoy uh, the grounds of the temple from the, for these, this period of time. And if you change your mind, will you, uh, we'd love to see you and your sister and her husband would love to come and see you. And to this day, I'm just, I'm so sad that I, uh, I was, I was indoctrinated that loving the church the roles was loving God and that there was something virtuous about loving God by not loving my sister or not seeing my sister. And I am very sad for that. 
And for many years, I felt all the virtue that one feels at being obedient to the laws, even if it hurts other people. I even went so far as to being a little bit judgmental that they would even want to tempt me to see them. And so what I hope I'm communicating to you here is that I had reinforcement in my upbringing to not see the hurt that I was causing someone who wanted to be in a relationship with me. And what I had not learned yet, and Fiona and I talked about this a couple of episodes ago, which is to love God just simply means to love others. That's all that God wants from us. That's all that they need from us to show our love for them is just simply to know how to be with other people and to truly see them. And so let's transition this conversation over to, to the, the, the marriage relationship. Supposing I was the same young woman that I was as a missionary and my partner had uh, become uh, involved with or had discovered some issues around the church you name it, any of the issues, social issues, uh, history issues, whatever, any of the um, inevitable issues that are going to come up um, as people evolve in their faith, not only in our faith, but in every faith where there is an orthodox arm, people are supposed to have an awakening and they're supposed to recognize that things are not black and white. Things are not as we thought they were. They were. And so in a cases that like that, I know for a fact, had I been put in that situation with an intimate partner, I would have behaved very, very badly. And I would have done it thinking that I was doing it with the validation of God and the church. And so this is why I show so much compassion for, and I really do love and get the suffering of the more orthodox partner when their partner, all of you who are in my communities and listen to this podcast, when you're doing the things that you're doing to grow and evolve, and when you're sprouting those beautiful wings and doing this beautiful hero's journey, faith development work, Uh, you're freaking out the people around you. You're freaking out your partner uh, because they have been conditioned to believe. They have internalized a gospel of Jesus Christ that needs you to be different. And so when the church is successful enough at indoctrinating us that eternal marriage has to look a certain way with no exceptions, no ifs, ands, or buts, no um, open spaces for partners to grow and evolve and, and believe differently, what they're actually doing is they are causing inadvertently the failure of a lot of marriages. So have they succeeded in indoctrinating people about the importance of eternal marriage and every little step and stage that it takes to uh, to re- to achieve this thing. Yeah, they've succeeded. As a matter of fact, in my opinion, they've over-succeeded. They've succeeded so much that their allegiance to and loyalty to the teachings of the church trump their loyalty and allegiance to the, the human being that, that they have covenanted to, to be with and to grow with and to truly love as God would love them. And so because the success of the doctrine is so <laughs> is so pervasive, the more traditional partner has a really, really hard time listening. They don't want to hear what their more evolving partner has to say because it terrifies them. Uh, part of me wonders if there's just a loyalty to uh, the institution, which of course they think is God. Part of me wonders if uh, they themselves have some inkling that there are some problems 
and they've been shelving those problems and they are not comfortable yet, or they're not ready yet to tackle those things. And so when their most um, important person, their partner says to them, Hey, I'm tackling these things. Uh, it's scary and they may not be ready. And so they push their partner away. Another part of this, uh, the success of the indoctrination is it causes a failure of curiosity, um, a, a, and a willful need to shut down conversation. Sometimes my people that I talk to often, often say that when they are trying desperately to encourage their partners to at least just listen to them, their partners respond by bearing their testimonies. And that's what I also would call another variation of the successful failure. You are that the, the church has inadvertently been successful enough in indoctrinating some of us around uh, the truth claims and the power of testimony that is in some ways used, in my opinion, in a, a very destructive, unloving way to shut down the pain and suffering and longings and bids for connection because of their commitment to their testimony, the beliefs, um, the orthodoxy. They're so committed to it that they don't have space to truly just be with and love their partner who is growing and changing. And so the partner in this more expanding space feels incredibly rejected. They feel lonely. They're already going through a great deal of active trauma because the church that they too are bonded to has taken on a new form. And in many cases, they don't know what to trust. They don't know what to believe. Um, early on, they don't necessarily have the ability to see the, the, the good and the beautiful things that are also part of their upbringing and their faith development. And then the added pain and suffering that they have no one with whom to share this, especially in many cases where partners uh, before this uh, faith crisis experience began in their marriage, they that was their person. They talked to them about everything. And then it seems in some ways as if in this one particular way, this partner cannot and will not be there for them. Once again, I return to the successful failure that inadvertently the teachings and doctrines of the church succeed in producing loyal partners, loyal to the church partners. They feel as if they must make a choice. And in many cases, the church has succeeded in convincing them that when a choice has to be made, the choice has to be towards the church and not towards the flesh and blood son or daughter of God who desperately wants connection, wants a listening ear, wants validation that what they're going through is scary and hard and, and heartbreaking. And so here we are. We have, I would say, thousands of couples in the church who are suffering. And both partners are suffering. This is not, I'm not, I'm not someone who sides with with either partner in this particular case, I think both partners are suffering. The person in faith expansion, they're suffering because oftentimes they're really bidding for connection with their, with their partner and they feel so rejected and they don't know how to communicate in a way that will um, lower the walls and lower the barriers of their more traditional partner. There's the more traditional partner is suffering too, because they have such a deep, and profound commitment to the church, which equals God, which equals the only way, which equals I can't 
deny God and the church, even if it means I have to deny this human being whom I otherwise love. And that sometimes is the paradigm that they find themselves in. And I think that they mistakenly believe that they um, are virtuous in shutting their partner down, in bearing testimony against all of the terrible things that they think their partner is learning and doing. And I think they find themselves feeling virtuous and um, reinforced sometimes by the church in um, mistreating, shunning, shutting down conversation, sometimes even threatening divorce. And they think that they have the church's backing on this. And I want to give the church the benefit of the doubt here that I don't, there's no part of me that feels that the church wants this to be the outcome of the success that the church has had in convincing these individuals that the plan of salvation is the one and only way for a couple to be in relationship. I do think that the church teaches that the, this is the, that there's only one way, but I don't think the church recognizes that there is a very, very dangerous and ugly underbelly to that doctrine, and that that doctrine actually causes a failure in marriages. That sometimes the, the more the Orthodox person believes that, the higher the likelihood is in some cases that they will not choose to pause and look into the eyes of their suffering partner who is expanding. There's a higher chance that they will not have the ears to hear, that they will not have the capacity, that they will shut down, that they will reject. And that there's a correlation, I believe, between the faithfulness of the LDS Orthodox member and their ability to be with their partner who is expanding because they see their expanding partner through the eyes of the rhetoric that they have been taught in the church about what that partner is experiencing, what they're feeling, what they're doing, how they're falling away, how they're apostatizing, how they're, you know, struggling with these toxic, um, un, you know, unvalidatable doubts. And so we find ourselves um, with failing marriages here in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because of the success of the marriage theology. Okay, so I hope that makes sense. <laughs> As per usual, I always hope things make sense when I'm trying to describe uh, complex topics. Uh, and uh, I just want to uh, communicate to you all the, the depth and breadth of my interest in the psychology of relationships as it relates to the doctrine and theology of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, because I care about marriages. And this particular topic feels to me um, as I have kind of walked through it and feel in some ways like I have um, cracked the code um, on some levels, it feels in some ways like now that I see it and I see it all over the place in marriages, to me it feels as if uh, we have to start having more conversations so that we can save these marriages. Because a lot of these marriages are, uh, are beautiful relationships um, between two really well-meaning, loving kind people. But I feel like because of this successful failure idea that I've talked about, that we are uh, setting otherwise uh, very, very uh, high-functioning couples that otherwise would have every reason to have a beautiful, thriving relationship. We're setting those couples up to fail because the one partner is operating with a paradigm that is going to hurt the marriage. And the paradigm that's going to hurt the marriage is that I choose the church, which I equate to God as more important than you. 
And so the more we have the language to talk about this, the more we're able to understand it, the more I hope we can begin to work towards helping heal our marriages here in and around the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so what is the answer? I'm sure you're wondering, right? It's like, okay, well, we've diagnosed the problem. What is the answer? I don't have a, a quick and sassy answer. I have lots of sassy answers, but <laughs> not very quick ones. But I will say that uh, one of the things that I have really been working personally on is I am trying to make sense of not only uh, conceptualizing the problem, but also coming towards how to look at the, the the psychology of human relationship to tackle a way to uh, at least move us towards an answer. And I feel like I have some ideas and a lot of what I'm going to talk about as far as my ideas are going to be in the next episode, which is uh, where I have committed to you all. I'm not now talking about the next episode. I guess I am a little bit talking about the next episode, but because I'm so committed to this, uh, the, the struggle that we're going through here in the LDS church in marriage, I have put a great deal of time and effort and heart and soul into creating these online courses for couples or even individuals where their marriage is in crisis because of this particular phenomenon. And so in my next episode, I'm actually going to do a, a fairly detailed overview. I'm going to review what's what I talk about in my first course, which is the Couple's Guide to Faith, Crisis, and Expansion. And then I'm going to give you a fairly detailed overview of what I go through in the second course of the Couple's Guide to Faith, Crisis, and Faith Expansion, so that you can have a sense of what you would be receiving if you were to take the plunge and really commit to uh, going deeply into this incredibly frightening territory, which is looking at your marriage and addressing the issues that are going on in your marriage because of your faith expansion. And I understand that it is incredibly terrifying. And in some ways, because both of us um, in the partnership oftentimes have very little conceptualization or understanding of what's going on, it does feel in some ways too big and um, there's too much fear. And it almost is like a non-starter. It's hard to even address the issue or even address a partner about addressing the issue because again, of the success of the indoctrination. And, um, but the success of that indoctrination is the thing that is in some marriages causing the failure of the relationship. So more to come in my next episode on how we can really slice this thin and break down element by element uh, ways for each of you to better understand what's going on in that beautiful marriage of yours so that you can have some on the ground tools to help turn your marriage into the marriage that it has the potential to become. Because it is my belief that this is not about uh, moving anyone out of wherever they are in their particular stage of, of development. I have no intention of moving an Orthodox person into more nuance nor do I have the intention of forcing a nuanced person back into orthodoxy. What my intention is that people can become more psychologically and spiritually mature human beings so that they can understand what is going on in the marriage, why they're both afraid, why they can't talk, why they are so um, struggling to have dialogue around this topic. And I'm trying to really um, create a deeper level of consciousness around the nature of the suffering of both individuals so that both can feel safe in walking through this topic and finding deeper intimacy, even as both partners 
remain uh, beautifully different and perhaps even in different stages of faith, which is okay. All right, I'm going to go ahead and close up now. If you haven't already done so, would you pause and rate and write a positive review on this podcast? It is incredibly helpful for people who are in a faith crisis or a faith journey to look at those ratings and reviews and see from what you say that what they're going to get is a faith-expanding experience through this podcast. And remember, those who are afraid of the content that we tackle here, they tend to be ones that do jump on and rate and review. So if you take 30 seconds and do that for me, that would be uh, incredibly appreciated. Additionally, if you're interested in joining one of my space-limited support and processing groups, If you would like to purchase an online course designed to help you through your faith expansion journey at your own pace, or if you're interested in looking into some time-limited consulting with me or with some ongoing coaching with a member of my team, you can find all of the information for all of these products at latterdaystruggles.com. That's latterdaystruggles.com. And finally, the Latter-day Struggles podcast is a proud member of the Dialogue Podcasting Network. You can support the Dialogue Foundation by subscribing to DialogueJournal.com. We can thank the Dialogue Foundation for being the founding body of progressive Mormon thought. Please support them. Dialogue Podcast Network.